This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today's guest has a mentor who walks on water. Who is your mentor? To whom are you listening? And how is your mentor impacting your workplace success? How do you stay centered and avoid seeking approval from all the wrong places? Donna Johnson is one of the most successful and highly respected top sales professionals in her direct marketing business. As a result, she received the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award. The author of the newly released book, My Mentor Walks on Water, Donna delivers a bold message about the necessary courage to step out of the boat and to get the power to speak the truth with love. With the cacophony of voices all around. Donna knows that she answers to only one. She says, quote, my business is not my idol, rather a tool, unquote. Donna and her husband Thomas have six children and eight grandchildren. Their charity, Spirit Wings Kids, funds orphanages in India and Africa, along with a permaculture farm and soccer academy in Uganda. Although she has inspired millions and accomplished much in many ways, she feels like her work is just beginning. Thank you, Donna, for joining me today on The Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Dr. Karen. So good to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you about all of the wisdom you've gained over many years of work experience. So I'm going to start with a question that I know is on the hearts of corporate executives everywhere. So for example, here's the question. One of the challenges that top executives face is navigating all the landmines about what topics are even safe to talk about in the workplace. And as you and I know, politics and religion are often at the top of the off-limits list. So tell us about an experience in your own case at work where you had to speak boldly about something in spite of maybe opposition or recommendations from others not to speak up. Wow, that's a big question because we all face it in life, not just in the workplace, but everywhere. And I don't know who made that rule We're not allowed to talk politics or religion. I know when Jesus did his miracles and parables, they were in the workplace, the majority of them. And so I love having conversations with people, regardless of their beliefs, even though they're different than mine, because otherwise we live in an echo chamber. So I don't follow the rules that the world gives us. I follow the rules that God gives me. I like to say, Uh, I answer to God. So how the world wants me to behave is none of my business. But at the same time, we have those emotional bank accounts with people. And 
if we do lead like Jesus, people will trust us. They will know we speak the truth with love. And it's all about love. So I've had lots of experiences with this issue, but consistently I have just stood my ground for something that I believe. And I believe that people respect you, even if they don't agree with you, if you speak the truth with love. Let me ask you to give an example. Give an example of a time where you really had to take a stand and speak up with courage in the workplace. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. So whether you're a business owner or an entrepreneur uh, or an employee, you're going to have those opportunities. One I can think of recently was a social media post. And I'm very kind and loving, but I do speak the truth with love. And somebody commented, you shouldn't be posting that because you're the top person and you're going to lose half your customers and you're going to lose half your team. And, And I thought, well, my business is not my idol. So my business is a tool. So I answer to God and I have been called to speak. So I would love to just take this off, you know, offline. And I just messaged her and I said, is everything okay? Is there something I can pray with you about? And it just led to a beautiful relationship and an understanding. So I think it was Stephen Covey that said, seek first to understand before you're understood. Don't be afraid of those Goliaths in our world. You know, um, God has equipped us with tools, but most of all, everything we do, when we do it with love and respect and kindness, those fruits of the spirit, you're not responsible then for other people's response to that kindness. So in this case that you're talking about, what happened in the messenger messenger follow up with this lady? What was the outcome? She had a very troubled um, experience with institutional religion as a young person, and so I just told her I understood how she felt. I had a similar experience. You know, when people know that you can relate to to them, it just causes to be bridges instead of barriers. And I just shared with her my story and um, it was very tearful for her. And I actually led her to the Lord and she's got a beautiful relationship. So just knowing that we can have that direct access to our Heavenly Father. You know, it's really interesting how a lot of times when people respond a certain way, it's because of their own history and experiences and background. And if we can have some compassion, we might learn something. And it might be what I call a divine appointment where we get to share with that person because of our own background and story. So since you mentioned that, let's go there next, because I know your upbringing was somewhat challenging in terms of both your family and growing up in your family and also on the spiritual side. So tell us a little bit about your history growing up. Well, I didn't have a normal daddy. I was so afraid of him. It wasn't just the words he used, but that look he gave me, those beady eyes, and I was petrified. I remember when I was five years old, my friend's mom painted our fingernails pink And I came home and my father called me a whore. Of course, I'm a five-year-old. I have no idea what that was. So I just grew up always being on pins and needles. There was always something wrong with me. And uh, to, to add to it, I was in Catholic grade school. I'd get 
hit on the head with the pointer stick from the nuns. I was afraid of that confessional booth with the curtain and a man behind another curtain and all these fearful things. And so I, my father left our family when I was 13 and I walked away from faith in my teen years and just was kind of in that mode of looking out for number one, right? <laughs> uh, and stepped away. Yeah. So in those early years, it was kind of like maybe a picture of who God is that wasn't completely accurate in a sense. And so having that picture would certainly make sense that you would leave that particular picture, maybe not want to stay there. And this um, lady from the UK had a similar experience. And so when she heard you, must have triggered something in her memory to say, oh, I should reject that. Yeah, we all have a story. And so what I'm so grateful for is meeting Jesus directly and having that relationship to be able to write a new story that serves you, not one that other people tell you who you are or you say about yourself, but seeing yourself the way that God sees us, it just changes everything. So let's talk about that too. So what would you say happened later in your life that actually deepened your walk with God as you got to know who he really was? What did you learn about God and what did you have to overcome, let's say, from your prior understanding? So I was newly married in my early 20s, and I was pregnant with my first son, Nathaniel. And I was just fascinated. I just completely walked away from religion as I understood it. Uh, but when you've got a baby growing inside of you, you really start to think. And I worked with this wonderful, beautiful woman. She was always so kind, and she invited me to a Bible study. And the other women that were there were the same countenance and loving. I want what you've got. And I learned through the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus. And I accepted him into my life. Uh, in fact, I changed my son's name to remind me of my new faith because I was so intrigued with the story of Jesus seeing Nathaniel under that fig tree, even before they met. And so we are known. We are so known by him. And if we know that, it changes everything. So is your son's name Nathaniel? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's a wonderful Nathaniel. Reminder. So to remind him even that he's known by God, you know, he's named known by God. In a way. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And so how did your personal life change? now that you became known by God too. Everything changed for me. I, instead of being a victim, I was a victor. Um, I don't have a college degree. So when I became an entrepreneur in my business and my family said, go get a real job, Donna, because if this doesn't work out, we can't bail you out. And I just had a strong work ethic and commitment to uh, doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason and building a success that I could control and not a boss or someone else telling me. Uh, so I've just used those principles, those biblical uh, principles to assist me in my business. And I've built one of the most successful global businesses over 30 years uh, that has sustained and grown um, and will last for generations. So I'm just so, so, so grateful that I had that encounter early in my life 
it's never too late to become the person that God has called you to be. And it really sounds like once you really are sure and you know that this is the direction, you might not know how, however you hear the call, even with opposition and the naysayers, you were able to forge ahead anyway and to move in the direction of establishing this business. So if you compare yourself to how you were before, and then let's say the naysayers would have come along, how might you have handled them then? What's more powerful about you now? It's the stories that we listen to. I write a new story. You know, what I say about myself or others say about me, I just replace it with what God says about me, and I hold on to that. And it's made me a new person through Christ. Um, he strengthens us. We don't have to do it on our own and our good works. Um, he's already forgiven us. And uh, so I know who I am in my faith. And he strengthens me. So tell us then about your business and how your faith has really made a difference in your business. Loving and serving people. Uh, this is I'm in a relationship business and just building relationships, being fishers of people, and um, just doing the right thing in my business, regardless of how it affects me. You know, a lot of people do situational ethics. Well, how is this going to affect me? <laughs> and I've always shown up to do the right thing and to listen and to learn and to build those relationships. And because of that, even when we've gone through trials, you know, our workplace we want it to look like this. We just want our business to grow, everything be perfect. But we know in reality that it looks like this. It, it grows and it plateaus and it dips no matter what career you are in. And I've always been consistent because of my faith. I've always been consistent in the great years. I'm celebrating with my team, but um you know, it's it's not ego. Uh, it's about gratitude. They get to see me live in gratitude and edifying people and congratulating people. Then if we're in a plateau, they know that I'm always there, just locking arms with them. We're going to get through this. Or if it's a dip, you know, just like Jesus stands by us. And sometimes we fall, you know, like Peter, when he came to walk on water with Jesus, he started to have fear and he fell. But guess what? Jesus picked him up. And so that's how it is in our relationship. And then that's how we can be with the people that we work with. We can set the example just like Jesus did for us. We can be that person. It's like a ripple effect. You know, part of what I'm hearing you talk about is what you do to sort of set the culture. And one of the things I always talk about is cultures that are positive and profitable. And so you're focused on the successes. You're congratulating people for their contribution to the successes. You're in gratitude. You're talking about what's going well. And what I know is as, as you focus more on what's going right, you get more of those right things that, that come your way. And even during the plateaus, you cast a vision that this is just a, a brief stopping point. We're about to take off again. I think that's important as far as the culture and what you're saying you do that makes a difference because of who you are, you know, at this stage in your life. You started to say something too about how you maybe impact individual lives. So think about someone that's maybe been on your team or could be a customer or just someone out there because of who you are, 
in how you operate, what have you done that's developed someone else or made a difference in their life? Well, I just want to go back and say culture is highly underrated. Culture is everything. I think it's Peter Drucker that says um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. And when you have a consistent culture, like Jesus' example, people will stick with you through the ups and downs because they know you, like you, trust you. And a good example I think I have for dealing with people is I treat people the same. A lot of times when someone's just a rock star, everybody treats them different. And then maybe who's someone who's not achieving as much is kind of like left in the background. And one thing that I've always done, I've just had a lot of compassion for people and building relationships. And I have this one story in particular, someone in my business as an entrepreneur, I'm not anybody's boss. I'm a, I'm a leader for them. And um, someone that was really thriving and growing had some things happen in her life. And she needed to just com completely put her business on the back burner. And I just continued to treat her as I always did. I would check in on her. Uh, hey, I'm coming to Florida. Let's get together for coffee. And things changed for her. And she started up her business again. And one of the things she said was, Donna, you didn't treat me any differently when I was a rock star or when I had my business on the back burner. And I just felt like this was the place that I wanted to be. Yeah, that is huge. And in fact, what I'm hearing you say is that you valued her no matter what, at all times. You saw her as a valuable person. And I find that when workplaces are developed that way, then people can become the best of who they are. And whether that happens today or tomorrow, you're setting the stage for them to have the soil to grow in, the water to drink, you know, the fertilizer and whatever else they need to grow. And I think that's a mistake a lot of companies make is they only invest in certain people and maybe not invest in all of their people. Absolutely. Maybe it's because of my upbringing and not having a college degree, um, people writing stories. Um, I just think we're called to love everyone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and you've been talking about what that love looks like at work. A lot of what's required to do what you do and to do what any believer does is to really be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is really required to show up in these powerful ways. So what have you learned about accessing the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, this was a gift that was given when Jesus ascended. He said, I'm going to the Father's home to prepare a place, but I'm sending a helper. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us when we uh, believe. And so accessing that power and the gifts of the Spirit is like walking and talking. You listen for Holy Spirit's voice. If my husband opened the door and said something to me, he doesn't have to say, hello, Donna, this is Thomas. I know his voice. And same with Holy Spirit. I know his voice, but we have to have that quiet time to hear. Oftentimes we pray, but then we don't listen. So having that voice to be able to hear, because we all do, 
you know, we, we people call it intuition and you hear that voice and just being guided by Holy Spirit and scripture together, I think that they work in hand in hand, um, scripture and Holy Spirit, because they, they complement each other. They don't fight each other. But what if somebody said to you, you know, I just, I wish I had more of the Holy Spirit. What would you say to them? Well, it, it's kind of like standing on the edge of the ocean and not going in and saying, ocean, ocean, I want more of you. What would the ocean say? Um, I'm right here. Get in the water. And I think God is just like that Holy Spirit. We always pray, God, give me more of you. Give me more of you. And he's standing there going, but I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm right here. You have to access. You have to flip the switch, turn the light on. It's like a construction worker putting his his tool belt on, but then going sitting on the couch. You know, you have to activate the Holy Spirit and lean in and walk and talk uh, and learn from Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So it doesn't do you any good to stand on the edge of the ocean. You have to put your foot in the water and experience it in some sense. You know, a lot of times corporate executives are the kinds of people who are used to being large and in charge and calling the shots and, you know, making these decisions all day. And so, you know, say a little bit about that in terms of how the Holy Spirit works and dealing with that executive personality. Well, that can be a really dangerous place to be because if there's no check and balance or accountability, um, we need Holy Spirit, scripture, and people in our life to give us feedback and accountability. Uh, we don't want to have everyone around us be a yes person. So being humble to listen for guidance, to know, I, I always like to say, because I'm a real driver, like I, I like to get things done. I make my to-do list. I just go, go, go out of my way. Right. And oftentimes I take the wheel but it's better to be in the passenger seat. It's better to lay, let Jesus take the wheel because I promise you, uh, when you do allow him to do that, he will give you net breaking boat sinking results. Our goal setting, you know, I like to say, you know, set a believable and achievable goal. Well, what if there's a bigger audacious goal that God has for us? that we can't even imagine. And that's how God is. That's how he was with my book that just dropped in my lap and I was obedient. He's amazing. And I just get to be amazed by him <laughs> and what he's doing. So how does a person know if they really are listening, shall we say, to whatever God is saying versus calling the shots themselves? How can they tell? <laughs> I think we kind of all go through that internal struggle, don't we? Um, but but we know with experience and and really leaning into prayer, I call it red light, yellow light, green light. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have been known, I've made mistakes where something gets, I call it playing tennis, you know, something gets pitched at me as an executive. This happens all the time. And before you know it, we're so busy, we can't even think. And I was just always, yes, 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 green light, green light. And I would be doing something and I could feel Holy Spirit. This was a red light, but you didn't even come to me. And because it takes so much more effort and things don't turn out the way you had hoped. So I'm learning 
or to listen for discernment from Holy Spirit, to take it to the Lord in prayer and seek out, is this a green light moment? Is this something, Lord, that you want me to do? I talk about the three Ds, you know, do it, delegate it, delay it or dump it, but you don't have to get do everything that's served up to you. And maybe it's a red light and red lights are okay. Red lights make your life, instead of the hustle and grind that the world tells us to do, we can have a sense of peace and rhythm and rest because we're operating in Holy Spirit. And yellow lights, Dr. Karen, are the hardest for me because that is the weight upon the Lord. And I just was advising someone yesterday. She just wanted a green light or a red light. And I said, it's okay, Carrie, to have a yellow light. It's okay to rest in the Lord and to seek to know for sure if it's a red light or a green light. So I hope that's helpful. It's helped me. I'm getting better and better at it. In fact, I recently had an invitation to be on a board and to actually had the ethics committee of an association. And my immediate response was red light, you know, the book and all the things happening in my life. The older you get, you just want to really honor what's important. And I said red light, but I felt Holy Spirit pushing me gently, green light, green light. I'm like, no, that's not you. That's not you telling me. And I just took it to the Lord in prayer and I asked for confirmation. I asked for the people who requested. I said, I, I have to yellow light this because my first in, initial response is red light, but I'm sensing green light. So I'll get back to you. So yellow lights are okay. And w- because when God's in charge, when God's involved in it, you want to be obedient. Yeah, this is an important conversation. I'm glad you took the time to talk about the red, yellow, and green lights because what I'm hearing in it is that don't be in a hurry, you know? Take the time to stop and to listen and to hear and to confirm, as you were saying. And if it's not a clear red, if it's not a clear green, and you're in the yellow zone, which is a tough zone to be in, be willing to stop and hear you know, to pause and to ask, you know, to ask for guidance and direction, or even a word I know you use sometimes, surrender, you know, to whatever God is saying in the moment. Absolutely. And uh, again, for those of us who are biotubers, this is really a hard lesson to learn, but it can be done and just practice doing it. I think that's what's so cool about getting older is the wisdom we experience. And I always say, to some of the young people that I'm mentoring, let my hindsight be your foresight. I've made mistakes. You don't have to make some of the same mistakes that I made. You know, learn these things. I wish I would have done more yellow lights in my life, but now I do. Now I do. Yeah. And the ones you are mentoring, they can get to their yellow lights faster as well. So while we're on that subject, if you think about younger people now who are coming up in the business, what are some things that you want them to know that you wish you had known when you were coming along? Well, I do want to say when people observe you taking the time to make a decision, red light, yellow light, green light, it creates an element of trust and respect and an example. It's kind of a ripple effect to teach them. I don't have to say yes to everything. And I guess that's one of the things I would like young people to know. Your journey is not going to be perfect. 
You're going to have tough times. Uh, you're going to have wilderness moments, but that's when God works on us the most to create the person that we are. So use your trials to your advantage to learn from them and to grow. Uh, people will relate to you more when you get through that and just help them understand it's not an instant gratification world. You know, like we want everything now. We set a goal, we want it now, or maybe we set a timeline and we don't hit it. And so we just jump from one thing to another. And if we're in prayer about something and we know we're on the right path, um, I like to say that time heals, but time also reveals, you know, allow God's timing to work. And it's not always our timeline. Yeah, that's a really important one. Some things take far longer than we think they're going to take. So since you've had such a successful career all these years, you won awards and everything else, say a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about the secrets of your success. What are some of the things that you were doing? You've said some of it as far as setting culture at work. And beyond that, just your own excellence. What has it taken to get there? I have an amazing work ethic. I think about so many um, people that I read about, Michael Jordan, I mean, just in every area of life and just going the extra mile, showing up. And I've always been that person. Uh, through my teen years, I was a competitive swimmer, competed nationally, and then I went on and coached. And I knew that I could take those same skills because I wasn't necessarily a better swimmer. I just worked harder. I'd show up earlier. I'd spend more time. And so I took those same principles and I applied them in my business. I like to say how you do anything is how you do everything. And as an entrepreneur, it's kind of the good news, bad news, because if you don't have anyone telling you what to do, you can just procrastinate yourself right out of business. And I've always been that if I make a to-do list, I get it done. And it's I've always been wired that way. I thought more people were like that. I'm, I know when I met my husband, he's like, I don't think I've ever met anyone that just follows through and does the things they say they're going to do. But again, if you say you're going to do something and if you're using those red, yellow, green lights, then you will just have so much more respect from others because they they know that you're a person of your word. So I've always been a person of my word. I've always had a really great work ethic, but I've also had a great play ethic. <laughs> I mean, people see that I'm not a workaholic. They see that I take time for rest, for play, for travel. My husband and I love uh, to cook. I mean, we love to read. And so uh, just all the areas of our life, we enjoy them and we do them and we play out all all out we're not guaranteed the next day you know not too long ago i was in in london and the people i was with i kind of forgot about the side of the road we're on and you know those big buses right so i'm about to step out onto the road and one of the guys pulled me back and literally if he had not pulled me back the mirror from that bus would have taken my head off. And it, to this day that that just shakes me. And I think we don't we are not guaranteed the next day. So why are we playing small? Live live full out in everything that you do. 
Yeah, that's an important lesson. I heard several things. Your own work ethic was an important part of that story. You have a track record in history of doing this and other activities, whether it be swimming or whatever else you you might be doing. And I also heard in the story, uh, being in London with the bus, how important it is to watch out for each other too, you know? Wow. Some people have got our back and are willing to pull us back if we're heading into danger that we're not aware of or that we don't see. So that sounds like an important variable too. It's not just about ourselves, it's about us with others is a part of what I'm hearing you say as well. Yes. And and being a person of your word, honestly, I think that when you say yes to too many things that you didn't really mean to say yes to, it can cause you to not be a person of your word. And so that's why that process, yellow, green, uh, red light is so important so that when you do make a commitment to something, you've really thought it through. You've did your due diligence. You prayed, uh, like that board and chair request that was made of me. You know, I just took it through the process. And so now I'm playing full out with it because I took the time to discern if it was the right thing. Yeah. I think this is really so important being able to. I'd say focus on those things that have strategic value for whatever your calling is and what you're supposed to do and where God is leading you. There may be 10 requests and maybe only three of them are really aligned, you know, your strategic direction. So you have to be able to figure out which ones to ferret out and which ones to pursue through all the means you've been describing so far. So since you're a high energy, high work ethic person, And I know that many times leaders get annoyed with those people around them on on their teams who just seems like you can't start a fire under them. So how have you dealt with people like that who they don't have maybe your work ethic and that they're not internally inspired in the same way? Rita Davenport, one of my mentors, used to say, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, (laughs) but you can salt their oats. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm in the oat salting business to just inspire people, see the greatness in them. People wear an invisible sign, make me feel important. And so I like to call out in people what I see in them, the greatness that I see in them. And it's not fake. I don't make it up and mm-hmm. um, it's real. But I think people need more cheerleaders in their life and people that believe in them. So if you just simply let them know you believe in them. You can't do it for them. You know, that's being an enabler. Uh, but knowing that you believe in them, oftentimes that sets people up for success because they feel it and they want to believe in themselves too. They'll grab onto your belief, even if they don't believe in themselves. Absolutely. You know, in your more than 30 years in the business and working in the workplace, I'm sure you've seen some people who you've called out the gifts and the beauty that you see in them without revealing any confidences or sharing a name. Tell us about a person who maybe was one of those ones that maybe didn't look quite so ambitious, and yet they responded to your calling out and Tell us the before. What were they like before? And what was the transformation? That's such a great question. Oftentimes, 
I'll meet someone and I'm not real sure. And they just surprise me. And so I love stories of people who just, they just show up every day. It might not be instant success, but they're coachable. Uh, they're interested in working on themselves. Self-development is so important. And I've seen just ordinary people uh, who didn't think they could accomplish much. I'm, you know, a mother of four small children and I've had a cleaning service and a babysitting service. And I've seen what one person in particular just rise to the occasion of I can set goals and I can um, work on myself and create success. And maybe some of these other careers and jobs I've been doing, trading hours for dollars, uh, maybe I can keep doing them if I want to, if I love it, or slowly uh, walk away from that. So it's been really fun watching people become entrepreneurs in my business and just really shine. There's a difference between uh, a shooting star and a rising star. A shooting star is someone who says, you know, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to do this and watch me. Here I go. And then all of a sudden they ghost me. <laughs> but a rising star is somebody who's coachable, who is learning from their mistakes, who is putting in the time uh, and is willing to be uh, to go through the trials of uh, what it means to be successful. Every single successful person we meet Everyone thinks it's instant success, but it never is. There's always a story. There's always a journey that goes with it. <laughs> Absolutely. So with all this experience, somewhere along the line, you got prompted then to write your book, My Mentor Walks on Water. Tell us a little bit about what prompted you to write the book. Well, I was not writing a book. I tell the story in the introduction and I... Literally, I a few years ago, I shared the stage with Tony Robbins, my husband, uh, Rita Davenport, and others. Rita went on stage, and she was laughing because she said, what, have, what are all these wa uh, fire walkers do? And she's pretending that she's, she's a humorist, and she's pretending that she's kissing her feet. And she said, I want you to know that my mentor walks on water. Well, that scrolled across my memory. And this book was literally downloaded and I could not even believe it. It was such a God moment. I called Rita. So I never heard you say that before. I've known her over 30 years. I've never heard you say it since. And she said, girl, that's your line. And of course she wrote the foreword for my book. It was an assignment and I was obedient. That's all I have to say because I did all the things that we do, you know, oh, I am not worthy find someone else to do this. You know, I'm not a writer, you know, all those negative self-talk. And I just thought, nope, I'm going to be obedient. And it's just such a beautiful message. And it's responding. Men and women are responding uh, faith-based and non-faith-based. Uh, it's just been a beautiful journey. Um, it went number one bestseller in 24 hours in a couple different categories. And it actually crossed over into secular and it's been fun. And it, I think it goes back to the driver's seat. I just sat in the passenger seat, let Jesus take the wheel, and great things happen. 
And, you know, if you had not been practicing that in the past on some smaller things, it might be hard to do it on this big thing in terms of the book. So when you were in that space of feeling unworthy or I'm not a writer and all this, what did God give you or show you so that in essence, he says, I'm giving you everything you need. So give us some examples of what came to you. What did he give you that you couldn't have imagined? Well, I had some people speak prophecies over me even before the book, which I had no idea what it meant. And one friend called and said, I had a dream that you were pregnant. And so when I woke up in the morning, I know that you're at the age, you can't do that. And she prayed and said, God, what is that all about? And he said, tell Donna, she's pregnant with the very big idea that I'm giving her. And there were other things like that. Uh, my publisher when we got together and I was, you know, we do something called a story arc and the table of contents and the chapters and he gave them to me and it just didn't feel right. And, you know, I've never written a book before. Here's my publisher. And I asked Thomas, my husband, what do I do? And he goes, pray about it, <laughs> you know, do what you say and pray about it. So I took it to the Lord in prayer that next morning, 515, he woke me up, get your pen out. And he gave me the first four chapters. Who do you think you are? Who God says you are? Who do you think Jesus is? Who God says Jesus is? And then from there, that was the foundation. Then we went into how you're mentored and then being mentored in every area of your life, your family, your health, your business, your community, all of that. When I called my publisher that morning to tell him the first four chapters, I didn't say what happened. And he said, those four chapters are perfect. And I said, I know because he gave them to me. <laughs> so, you know, if we just allow him to work through us, he will do great things. That's a great story. I just love it. And it really does illustrate the process of everything that you've been saying so far. So if someone reads your book, what do you hope that they will get out of it? I would love for it to start a conversation. There's a lot of division in the world, like we talked about earlier. Can't say this, can't say that. And it's just such a loving, inviting book. It sweeps people in. Um, so I hope it uh, starts conversations. I hope that people understand what their calling is and that they don't have to huddle in the middle of the boat. You know, there's so much fear and uncertainty in our world, and we're kind of told to huddle in the middle of the boat. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Billy Graham, your courage strengthens the spine of others. And we all will have action and inaction regrets. And those 11 apostles, I bet they regret not walking on water with Peter and Jesus. And so, you know, I'm calling water walkers. We have a water walker movement uh, and just step up step out of the boat, just like Peter, you're going to fall, but Jesus will be there to pick you up. And guess what Jesus did after he picked him up, right? He made it all the way to Jesus, right? Because he was right there when he picked him up. Jesus didn't yell back at the boat and say, hey guys, Peter's a loser, come and pick him up. And Jesus didn't pick him up and carry him back to the boat. What did, what does scripture say? They walked back to the boat together. And that's our lesson when we accept our kingdom assignments, 
wherever they are in the mountains of ministry and culture, you know, arts and entertainment, business, politics, education, uh, all of that, whatever your calling is, be brave, be courageous, step out, walk on water, and you will inspire people around you to do the same. Great. So one water walker inspires the next one. And we have a whole bunch of people walking out there on the sea. (laughs) (laughs) We have some company, so not a bad thing. (laughs) How fun is that, right? (laughs) That'd be a lot of fun, actually. I can sort of picture that in my mind. It's It's a lovely image. So you've been talking about what I'll call the powerful legacy that you're leaving at work in terms of the culture you're creating, the people you're developing, and the ways that you're investing in people in the workplace. How are you also passing your spiritual legacy to your children and grandchildren? Oh, I'm so grateful that early on in my career, because I was raised poor, I remember getting hand-me-downs from my cousin Mari. We didn't have the same body style type. And uh, so obviously when you start experiencing success, you're inclined, the temptation is to spoil your children. And um, the uh, owner of my company has now passed away. He's Norwegian. And he set me down early in my early 20s. And he said, no, I think it was my mid-20s by now. Um, I had three small children at the time. And he said, you are going to be tempted to spoil your children. He said, in Europe, they call it that success skips a generation. One generation rises up, works hard, and then they spoil the next generation. And that generation becomes entitled and it skips a generation. And so he said, you know, have your children pay for half of the things they want and do their laundry and learn to cook and pay for things that are important to them. So the idea, they even paid for half their college. Now, could I afford to do that? Absolutely. But if they received an academic or sports or any kind of scholarship, that counted towards their half. And all of them are highly educated with no debt um, because of their work ethic and their work to get the scholarships and things. So, And they're grateful because the world tells us today oh, well, you're a rich kid, so you probably got everything taken care of. And I know that just drives my kids crazy. I have 29-year-old twin daughters that are herbalists, and someone may learn something about their upbringing. You know, they've gone to Africa and the different things. And so when people start asking them, wow, you've done all those things, why is that? If they mention mom's success, there's an automatic story that's being written. My kids know that's not true. And so I always tell them, use your voice and let people hear a new story. You know, your mom worked hard. She wasn't handed anything. And we worked hard. We weren't handed anything. People need to know those stories because those stories aren't being told. Yeah, sort of giving them a real success path rather than a fake one, so to speak. And it it does something to deal with prejudices, if you will. When I say prejudices, I mean preconceived notions Mm -hmm. about who people might be or who they are based on certain trappings or what we see on the external part, not knowing the journey that goes with it. And it also gives people hope that, hey, they worked hard and did this, maybe I could do it, you know? An inspiration, right? 
and write a new story. You know, let there be new examples out there and don't step away from it. You know, those kind of things could cause people to sit and huddle in the middle of the boat. But I told my kids, it's okay to stand up and tell the truth and tell your story. They need to hear it. Step out of the boat, walk on water. And that's the metaphor of walking on water is the courage. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the courage to share something that really benefits someone else if they would take it to heart, so to speak. So as you're continuing in your career and in your work life, what else would you like to contribute? What else would you like to do or to experience that maybe hasn't quite happened yet? I'm just so blown away by every single day when I step on the ground and what God has planned for me. And uh, I just am open to be obedient to, to whatever God has. I just am so amazed. I've lived a wonderful life and I plan on being here for a really long time, but I just want to do it with obedience and to see what God has my, coming my way, because I may not even be able to see what he already has plans for me, but I am just leaning on him and trusting him to show me his will and his way for my life each and every day. My husband and I talk about it all the time. We're aligned with that, that God show us your will, your eyes, your wisdom, you know, be our voice and just show up. And I want to be, I just want to continue to be that example uh, for others as well. And that just this is that ripple effect, that legacy that will pass on for many generations, not just, just your own. I love that. So you're really talking about planting seeds that also seed other families, not just your own personal family. It's like uh, the man who planted trees. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but he planted trees for years and years and in a place nobody understood why he was doing it. And it benefited generations later. And such a powerful example and story. And what you're talking about is you're also building up the family trees of other people by what you're depositing in the workplace and in the world while you're here. So I love that because it says, I can share, I'm not selfish, and I'm willing for others to be successful too. Well, what do you see in an apple seed? Do you see an apple? Do you see a tree? Or do you see a whole orchard, you know, feeding lives? So it's all what we see in our vision. Absolutely. And that's well said as well. So how can people get a hold of you? Well, I'm at mentordonnajohnson.com, just like it sounds, and Instagram, uh, Mentor Donna Johnson, Facebook, Mentor Donna Johnson. So I am a mentor and friend, and uh, we have some wonderful water walker merchandise that does support our uh, soccer academy and permaculture farm in Uganda, which is so exciting. My son is a leading permaculturist, and before COVID, we went and planted a huge permaculture farm that was flourishing during COVID and not only fed the orphanage, but the outer community. And uh, so all of the profits of our merch goes for uh, that. And my husband, Thomas, was a professional soccer player in Sweden. We live in Sweden part of the year. My kids always say, Mom, where in the world are you? <laughs> and um, so we have that for the for the kids there, which is so important because just like every country, 
they have so much distraction with drugs and other things that having that team and that coach with a mentor uh, makes such a difference in their life. So another way that you are resourcing other people and their families in a very profound way, actually. So thank you for doing that, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So people can get the book. They can go to Amazon and other places where books are sold. Actually, if you go to Mentor Donna Johnson, there's a link right there to Amazon. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a great gift as well. And I narrated the audio. Uh, I had to actually do an audition for that. And that went number one in leadership. And I've been too afraid to listen to it. You know how you feel about your own voice, but everyone is loving it. So um, just really enjoy it. And also it makes a great um, book club because at the end of every chapter are reflection and ripple effect questions. So you can just take that through each chapter. Yeah, thank you for sharing that so people know how they can benefit from the whole resource and how they can get a hold of it. So thank you for saying that. You've shared a lot of words of wisdom today. So what additional words of wisdom do you want to leave for my community of corporate executives? And many of these corporate executives have fewer freedoms, let's say, than entrepreneurs. And for them, they're multiple stakeholders, including shareholders they've got to answer to and all this. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, you're a businesswoman, you're an executive leader. What additional words of wisdom do you want to share with them? I would say keep your priorities in line. You will always be respected, even if the world doesn't like God first, family second, business third, no matter how high profile you are, you will be so loved and respected with those values and stay seeking the best place to be mentored is scripture and Holy Spirit in tandem with each other. And then, of course, people that you choose, but you have a very clear uh, criteria for who you choose to to pour life and influence over you. So when it's all connected, scripture, Holy Spirit, and people, it's like that three-chord strand. Stay in the word, stay in prayer, and not just pray, but listen, listen for Holy Spirit, for guidance, because he wants to, he wants to guide you. We just don't always listen. So stay in that lane with him and he can create success that you may not even have dreamed of. Amen to that. So sign up for the bigger, greater vision, not just the one we have in our own heads. So that's a good deal. Thank you so much, Donna, for being with me today. Really appreciate everything that you shared. Thank you, Dr. Karen. This has been so fun. Good. Thank you again. So we'll close out today, actually, Donna, with verses that you'll be very familiar with. So this is Matthew, the 14th chapter, and I'm just going to read some of it, starting with Verse 22, well, I'll start with 25, and it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid 
and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I know Donna shared many pearls of wisdom from these verses already. Just going to add a couple of little nuggets. One is, there will be wind in our lives, wind that's boisterous. And sometimes we might even start to feel afraid because of the circumstances swirling all around. And remember this, when Jesus steps on the boat with you, he calms the sea. So there's no circumstance, there's no wind, there's nothing out there that can stop you or his purpose for you. So hold on to the unchanging hand of God the Messiah and walk on the water with him. Today, I'm here with Terrence Chapman, the president and CEO of nonprofit organization Victorious Family. They are committed to family discipleship and transformation. Thank you for being here, Terrence. Tell us about your big goal, what it is that you're going for at Victorious Family. Well, by 2030, we see reaching 9.2 million families here in the U.S. That is wonderful. And you're reaching these families because you really want to see children grow up and truly continue their faith in Christ. So tell us about one of your resources. Do your children believe the book you've written? Well, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers don't exasperate your children, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're just being faithful to that calling. In order to do that, we train coaches and we provide workshops and content to train parents on how to disciple their children. That is phenomenal. So how can people find out more about the ministry and the other tools and resources you have available and also how they can donate to support the ministry? Well, one of those tools is Do Your Children Believe, a book that we've published by Thomas Nelson. And you can find that at victoriousfamily.org. Fantastic. All right. So there you have it. You want your family to be victorious? Go to victoriousfamily.org. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.